This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You have to decide at some point in your life whether you're going to be a person who talks about shit or a person who does shit. And either one is okay to choose, but you just have to embrace whichever one you're going to be and just know the ramifications of that. And it was in that moment that I decided I want to be a person who did stuff. That whatever cost, like whatever I had to do to do it, you know, and it, I might fail at it and that's okay, but I got I to gotta try and I got to put the effort forward. And that was really, that was really the, the moment. And so I never really looked at the plan necessarily. It was always just knocking down the next day, like whatever the next day had, like I'm just going to do that the best I could that day. And it wasn't like a timeline. It wasn't anything like that. It was just more of these are the things I feel like I need to do. And I'm just going to continue to go after each day and make the best decision I can. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is tomrollandpodcast.com and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on tomrollandpodcast.com and the social media is tom underscore Roland R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. I'm Clint Campbell from the Truth From The Stand podcast, and this is the Tom Roland podcast. Clint Campbell from Truth From The Stand podcast, man. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me on, man. I, uh, I appreciate the, uh, the invite and, uh, look forward to spending some time with you guys, just chopping it up here right before Christmas, you know, yeah. me after a good weekend being with the family. So I'm, uh, I've been full of, uh, of libations and, and bad food. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that is going around this time of the year. That's what everyone is, uh, is battling with the, the, the way to, to keep it all together during the holidays. But we also have my son Turner here. He's going to join us. Uh, Turner's one that introduced you and I together. And, uh, man, you got a, you got an awesome podcast. Truth from the stand podcast. Turner tells me it's the number one podcast on waypoint. Uh, congratulations on that. And you have, uh, just developed an awesome community and, and, uh, you know, you're super passionate about mostly whitetail hunting, but all you talk about all kinds of things on your podcast. How, uh, yeah. how did, how did you get this started? It was, it was really kind of a happy accident, really. Um, you know, I was for years was living in Orlando and I was a musician that was probably, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, you know, heavy hunting heritage state. So by the time I was 12, I was chomped at the bit to hunt and had been going out in the woods with my dad since I was, yeah, probably five. And, uh, 
so did that all kind of growing up throughout my life. And then, you know, music became the thing that really kind of, you know, bit me, if you will, whenever I was probably hmm. 13, 14 and I moved away to Orlando, you know, my wife and I did, or she was my girlfriend at the time. And I was a touring musician working recording studios, you know, had a record deal and was doing that whole kind of life. And then we were ready to kind of move back to Pennsylvania. You know, I left music and we had our daughter and we moved back to PA. And at that time when we were in Orlando, I, I went on one hunting trip the, over the course of the 10 years that we lived there. And I went to Alaska with my dad, just because there wasn't time between touring and being in the studio and stuff like that. You just, you know, that's like most things, like if you're dedicated to it and you want to be successful at it, you have to kind of go all in, you know, it doesn't leave a lot of time for, you know, much else. Um, hence why I didn't get married very early, like during, <laughs> during that period, because it just wasn't a lot of time at home. Um, but you know, when we moved back to PA, you know, we own a bunch of family property and stuff like that. And so I went right back to just hunting, like I usually, you know, did growing up and stuff like that. And, um, a buddy of mine or a buddy of my father-in-law is actually introduced me to bow hunting. Cause I never really bow hunted growing up. My dad bow hunted some with like a, with a stick bow. Um, but that was typically whenever it would be windy or rainy, you know, he would take it, he would, he liked to spot and stop, you know, otherwise he hunted a lot of small game and then we'd rifle hunt and stuff. And, uh, I got bit with the, with the archery bug real bad and <laughs> just really kind of fell in love with it. And like most things, the way I am, I'm an, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. It's like, it's a hundred miles per hour or I'm at a, or I'm at like a dead stop. That's kind of <laughs> like how I kind of roll. I know something about and, that. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so at that time, you know, most of the guys that I know, knew who were hunters were very much like my dad, my uncle, my grandfather growing up, which was, you know, was a great kind of introduction as a kid, but they weren't, um, they weren't strategic about it necessarily. And to me, you know, what I do for a day job is I'm a strategist, like a marketing strategist. So trying to solve problems is what I kind of typically do day to day. And, uh, and I kind of saw whitetails as like another strategy problem to solve. And so, you know, I started reading books by people and started reading, you know, any article or anything I could find by Dan Enfalt and the hunting beast and stuff like that. And just, it was like a whole world was opened up to me. And, uh, and I was like, you know what, what if I start a podcast, I could get guys to come on and talk to me about bow hunting and I could pick their brain because I could promote whatever they're hawking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really, yeah. that was really as far as I took it. I was like, and if I can get like, 10 or 15 of these guys that spend like an hour or an hour and a half with me telling me their secrets in the interest of like, you know, growing their social platform or selling an extra couple of DVDs or an extra book or whatever, then I get to learn something, you know, maybe start to create a small network where I can kind of call on guys when I have questions about things. And that was really kind of how it started. It was, it was really to answer my own stupid questions. And mm-hmm. then as time went, I kind of realized that all the stupid questions I had were all the same stupid questions that people have, that were listening and either one didn't have someone to talk to because it didn't, didn't have a resource like that nearby them. Like I didn't, you know, as I was kind of getting into bow hunting or they were too um, shy or didn't want to ask the dumb question. They mm-hmm. didn't want to seem like they didn't know what they were doing. And I'm always of the mind. There is no dumb question. Only a stupid person that didn't ask the question, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, well, let me be there. Let me be there. You know, they're, they're, they're Guinea pig, you know? And that was really kind of how it started. I didn't know. I, I was, at that point, I thought I would have been surprised if it had lasted six months. Hmm. And that was really all the longer I thought it would last. And, you know, here I am seven years later, still doing it, still loving hunting, um, have met a super, you know, diverse group of guys. Uh, I became a better hunter because of it, you know, and just, and have created like the best lifelong friends, you know, a guy could ask for. Man, that's awesome. Uh, you know, it's, it's very intimidating for someone to walk into a fly shop, a bow shop, you know, that type of environment where you're surrounded by all these people that know what they're doing, or at least it appears that they do. Um, and to ask these questions of just starting out. And I just had this you know, Turner has kind of introduced me to archery in the last, last couple of years. He's out in Bozeman and he's, he's got great bow shops out there. And, and man, there are a lot of, I have a lot of, you know, what seem to be stupid questions, right. But you walk into that shop and even though I've already taken this journey with, with fishing and (laughs) it's just a weird kind of thing to step back into a, into a place and you're like, I don't even know, like, you're just reeling off all of these things. I don't even know what that second thing that you said was like, 
what was that? What did you, what are you talking about? What is, what is a, you know, whatever it is. And, and it just is this, this weird thing. And so people need that. And it's no wonder that, um, that you, you got such a, a following from that. Like there is no stupid question. And, and that, I like the, I like the format of your show and just the way that you're, that you're, you're answering those questions and it's really good. Um, what, so the podcast, uh, why did you think maybe, did you think about anything else like a podcast, a YouTube channel? Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you could, you could have undergone this journey. And if you did it seven years ago, you were really jumping into it on the early side, which is awesome. But uh, it was the podcast, the long form conversation. Was that was that of interest to you? Yeah, it, it, there was a couple things. So it originally, you know, I would say probably almost, I think it might have been close to eight years ago, because almost a year prior to that, I started the blog first and I was writing. Mm. Um, and and the thing was, was that I, I'm just not a great writer and it takes me a long time to write to get my thoughts together. Cause anything I write about, I like to be really educated on. And so I don't want to mislead somebody. I don't want to misrepresent something. And so I would spend a lot of time reading myself in researching and to, and to understand an, uh, an aspect or a strategy or a tactic or whatever it was. And some of it was very early on, you know, I was focusing a lot of my effort around, um, habitat management. Cause we own, you know, a couple hundred acres back home. And so I was managing like the farm and trying to like, you know, implement food plots and do some, you know, timber stand improvement and, and stuff like that. And that was a lot of what I was, was kind of writing it about. And what I realized was like, I just couldn't turn out enough information mm-hmm. to really feel like I was, that it was worth my while. And I just was like, you know what, I have a background in audio cause I've worked in recording studios for a long time and I've been on stages in front of thousands of people. So I don't have a problem being on a microphone. I was like, maybe a podcast is a better, better, better approach for me. And I can do it weekly. It's something I can kind of, you know, and I can pivot kind of quickly. Um, and it'll allow me to have that, that kind of one-on-one communication aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I never wanted to speak at the audience. I wanted to speak to a person and that the audience is kind of coming through me to a degree, right. Yeah. As, as weird as that might sound, I just wanted to be a conduit for those people. And that's, as the show went, that's why it kind of pivoted because, you know, I don't live close to our family properties and stuff like that. They're all several hours, hours away from me. And so I just kind of started focusing on all public land. And this was before public land became the super cool thing to do. You know, I was doing that because that's what's around me. You know, that's I, unless I want to travel three to four hours to go back home. And then it really limits my hunting opportunities because then it's just really, you know, Saturdays here in PA because you can't hunt Sundays. You mm-hmm. know? And so you're driving four hours on a Friday after work to hunt for a couple hours on a, on a Saturday, you know. And I wanted more hunting time. So I just started focusing on the public land around me. And I was like, you know what, this show really should be about the normal everyday guy that doesn't own a back 40, um, because it's getting harder and harder for people to own land and not just own a house or whatever, but just own enough that's huntable. Um, and that might be a better, better use of my time. Yeah. And so that's really kind of what I started focusing on. And as soon as I started focusing on that, like the podcast just kind of took off and <laughs> I did like a very early YouTube video. It was actually like probably pre any of the big YouTube channels that are out there now. I, <laughs> it was a hundred, it was a public land video that I did. And it was like way before the public land, uh, you know, channels have kind of popped up. Yeah. Um, but I just not skilled in video. And so that was a path of, of heavy resistance. From mm-hmm. that. So that's why the audio thing was, was, was really kind of what, what was born. Now, what, what about your, your music? Uh, what, what kind of music were you playing and how did you become a touring musician? You said 13, like what, what was it about age 13 that, that really changed your path in music? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm of the age where, you know, music really changed, um, during whenever I was growing up, uh, you know, that was when, you know, I can remember when Nirvana knocked uh, Michael Jackson out of the (laughs) spot on the billboard charts, which was Mm -hmm. the first time a rock band had held the number one spot and for forever, you know what I mean? So it was during that era where where there was clearly a paradigm shift in how people were thinking about music and what music was. And um, it kind of moved away from the, you know, the eighties electronic stuff and got more influenced by all the records I grew up listening to, you know, it's like, I, you know, my, my parents, like my, my mom is a, you know, a big, uh, Led Zeppelin fan, you know, and my dad is a big Pink Floyd fan, mm-hmm. you know, and Leonard Skinner fan. 
So I had like this, all this like classic rock in my background growing up. And so that's what I really liked. So whenever that kind of paradigm shift happened, I could hear all the stuff I grew up listening to in those bands. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that kind of really kind of captivated me. And it was also this kind of sense of same thing I look for in hunting is adventure. It was new. It sounded like it was like controlled chaos all the time. And like, it could just completely disintegrate at any moment. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I like about bow hunting because as good as you might be at it, as soon as you think you got, got a hold of it, man, those white tails will do something you just totally don't expect, or the elk will do something you totally don't expect, or the weather will do something you totally don't expect, or the wind will do something you totally don't expect. Right. And so it's constantly kind of living in that chaos and being comfortable in that chaos. That was really what kind of piqued my interest in it. Um, and no one in my family is musical. So it was just, I taught myself how to play. Um, what were you, you playing? Know, a lot of bad, uh, guitar okay. is what I started off playing. And then by the end of it, it's like a kind of guitar player, but I was, I could, I could fumble around almost anything you put in front of me by the, you know, by the time I kind of was, you know, in the studio and stuff like that. Um, and so it was a lot of just rock music for the most part. Um, you know, I think the last band I built and was in, you know, some of the guys that was in the band were from the band ministry. One of the guys was from, um, the nine inch nails. He was a previous like touring guitar player for nine inch nails wow. and, and, and stuff like that. So it was, you know, we did our record with this uh, guy who did, uh, uh, I worked with the guys from the Stone Temple Pilots and Army of Anyone and did a bunch of filter records and, Dang, you know, and stuff man. like that. So it was kind of that whole crew that we were that we were plugged into and went to LA and made a record and you know, I had the whole experience. I just didn't get the bag of money that some get. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's that's awesome though. I mean, you were really playing at the at the highest level really that there is. I mean, that that's those are amazing bands and it's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. It's funny because, you know, uh, yes, we got to do a lot of cool stuff. I think the biggest show we played was probably like 5,000 people. We did a, we did some dates with, uh, this band called Avenge Sevenfold and Coheed and Cambria. And this would have been like in the early mid two thousands, which were, you know, arena bands at that time. Um, but it's funny cause like we were a good band. Um, but there, I always say there's a difference like if anyone that plays sports, when you see someone who is, you know, let's just say a triple a pitcher, right. And you, and you're watching him throw smoke and throw a curveball. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers. If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that mint mobile wireless plans are $15 a month, when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, what's the catch. But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. And you're like, oh yeah, that guy's good, you know? And then you go and you watch, you know, uh, Tom Glavin or Greg Maddox throw a curveball in their prime. And it's like, wow, that's not even in this, like these, they're in a different stratosphere, yeah. even though they're both kind of professional, <laughs> you know, there's a clear distinction between the two, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. I had that experience because I left that band that I had built. And um, when we got back from LA, I, I just, I was starting to feel like I was, I wanted to go in a different direction and, and I was really starting to question whether or not music is what I wanted to do long-term. So I was, 
you know, I had been married now at that point, my wife and I wanted to have a family. Um, and so I was kind of questioning whether or not that, that was my long-term kind of future. And so I left and was just doing some soul searching. And then there's a band called Shinedown, which is a very popular band. Mm-hmm. They sold millions of records. Um, they're from Florida. And, you know, I knew their A&R guy. I was friends with him and we had done some shows with them and stuff like that. And their guitar player had gotten arrested and uh, <laughs> they needed a guitar player for like the Sound of Madness tour. I think the Sound of Madness record was coming out. And so, so their A&R guy's name's Steve, great guy, he lives in Tennessee now. And he's calls me. He's like, Hey, you've been doing any playing? And I'm like, eh, a little bit here and there. What's going on? And he was like, uh, shine down. He's a guitar player. You want to come out and jam? And so <laughs> I was like, sure. They had a rehearsal. It's not far from my house. So I drove over and rehearsed with them. And that was like, that's like whenever you're a rookie, like you're a good rookie, like from a sec school. And then you walk into like the former Super Bowl champions practice, like facility, right. For like a week. <laughs> and you're like, Holy shit, this is just different. You know what I mean? That, that was what it was. That was what it was like because their singer sounded like the record, even in rehearsal. Like they didn't miss a note, like ever. You know, and it was just, it was just a different, a different level. But that's what you get when you play 300 nights a week for right. seven years. You know. And so you played that whole tour with them? No, actually, it was. Uh, it, I went in and played with them for a handful of days. Um, and then they had another guy, uh, last name was Perry. who was in a band called silver tide. I think it was kind of between he and I, and, uh, he was, I think it's Nick Perry was his name. He was like the next like hot shot, young gun guitar slinger. Like, you know, he was on the cover of guitar world and stuff like that. It was between he and I for like who they were going to kind of take on the road and they ended up choosing him. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up quitting the band in like six months or whatever. Um, which, it was a bad choice on their part, but a uh, great guitar player. I had a blast playing with those dudes, you know, for a couple of days. Um, you know, it, it was a small world because they knew my drummer. Like it was just a very, it's a very small world. Like once you get into that group of people, like everyone kind of knows everybody mm-hmm. very similar to hunting. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like they're, you know, or fishing, I would suspect. Right. Yeah. It's like, once you kind of get in, everyone kind of knows everyone to some degree. And there's like not more than like two or three degrees of separation from each other, you know? So, but it was a good time. I had a blast. I got a lot of great stories. Uh, most we probably have to share at a bar over drinks. <laughs> yeah. What was, what was the, uh, what was it like making the decision that you were going to leave that life of music? Uh, it was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to decide, to be honest. Um, I'd be lying if I, if I said any different, um, because you know, the 13 year old kid in me, you know, um, had done everything he ever wanted to do except make all the money. Like I remember when I was in, when I was in high school, um, I wasn't a great, I was a good student when I wanted to be, but you know, wasn't super, uh, motivated or disciplined might be the better way to say it. Um, and I had a great teacher that taught, uh, our, uh, trig trigonometry class. And she pulled me aside the one day, Mrs. Dodson, never forget her. She passed away since, but, um, you know, she was like, you know, took me, sat me down. I was like, look, you're, you're smarter than you let on. You know, what do you want to do with your life? She was like, write it on a piece of paper and bring it to me tomorrow. Hmm. And so I wrote a piece of paper that I wanted to like, I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to make a record. I wanted to have a record deal. And I wanted to work at a recording studio and produce records. And that was when I was 16 years old. And I kept that piece of paper until I was in my late twenties. And by the time I was 21, I did all those things. Wow. And so whenever I sat back and I realized that I was like, you know, I've accomplished everything I, that that 16 year old kid set out to accomplish. That was when he was pure and his goal was not to make a million dollars, $2 million, $10 million, whatever it was. And if, if I'm hanging on to just try to try to suck the life out of something that has given me so much, then I shouldn't be here anymore. You know, and that 16 year old kid would punch me in the face if the reason I was going to stick around is because I didn't want to miss out on making a couple bucks. And so that was really when I decided that I was like, you know, I need to, I need to move on. There's other things I want to do. And, um, this can just be a really cool chapter in, in the story of, you know, of the life that I have. Yeah, that is, uh, that, that's a great story, man. You, you were able to, um, to, to write those things down and accomplish them in a very short order. That's uh, mm-hmm. when, when you looked at that piece of paper and you you just kind of realize, oh, wow, I did all of these things and more. 
Like that's, that's a crazy feeling. Mm-hmm. I've had that. I've had that feeling myself. When you look back at a journal or something like that and you set, you set, you know, like I want to do this, 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 and this. And you look back there and you hadn't picked this thing up in a long time and you look at it and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. I did exactly that. And exactly that. And exactly that. It's like, is the power of, of writing things down is it's just incredible. Um, when you had that experience of, of, of like you manifested that, like you, you made all of that stuff happen. That, what is, what, is, what was that like for, and you're a young man, right? Like when you realize that. Yeah, I think, you know, I remember distinctly, you know, a, a moment whenever I was, I don't remember how old I was, but it was prior to, you know, being able to accomplish those things that I, I was, we were living in Orlando and I was trying to put this band stuff together and, and all that stuff. And, you know, and, um, I was, you know, as I was talking to people, I was kind of expressing what it is I wanted to do, like what the vision was, like these things that I wanted to accomplish. And I realized I wasn't getting any closer to it. And, you know, I remember having like a, one of those things when you, when you speak out loud to yourself, right. It's either can be very powerful or very weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just sitting you know, at our, the house, my wife and I were, or my, she was my girlfriend at the time that we were renting in Orlando. And I was said to myself, and I've had this conversation with my daughter before where, you know, you have to decide at some point in your life, whether you're going to be a person who talks about shit or a person who does shit And either one is okay to choose, but you just have to embrace whichever one you're going to be and just know the ramifications of that. And it was in that moment that I decided I want to be a person who did stuff whatever cost, like whatever I had to do to do it, you know, and it, I might fail at it and that's okay, but I got to, I got to try and I got to put the effort forward. And that was really, that was really the the moment. And so I never really looked at the plan necessarily. It was always just knocking down the next day like whatever the next day had, like, I'm just going to do that the best I could that day. And it wasn't like a timeline. It wasn't anything like that. It was just more of, these are the things I feel like I need to do. And I'm just going to continue to go after it each day and make the best decision I can each day on top of the next day, on top of the next day, on top of the next day. And whenever two years go by and I look back, it's like, I'll be able to see all the things that I've done, you know? And that was really kind of how I, how I went after it. And I think, you know, when I look, when I look back on it in hindsight, what I realize now as a, as an older man, you know, uh, a dad, a husband is that, it was the evolution I desired, not the goal. And that has been become something more powerful for me as I've gotten in my thirties and now my forties that I constantly seek things that, that help me evolve and our evolutions and that there's never any true mastery of. Hmm. And those are the things that I'm always seeking, which is the thing that I didn't know at the time, but that's the thing that I fell in love with about bow hunting. Yeah. Is that there is no such thing as mastery. Right. It's always just an evolution to the next season to the next piece of knowledge, to the next, whatever that you get, because there's so many variables. You can never be, you can never be an expert at it. You can never be perfect at it. You can never master it. You know? Well, isn't that, isn't that very similar to, to music? Like I'm not a musician, but I, I respect it very much that, you know, you watch someone play a musical instrument and they do it masterfully and it looks so effortless. And, and I know that, that there was this process of getting, getting to that level and, and it was practice and, and, and failure and practice and failure and practice and failure and slowly and incremental getting better and then starting to put things together and being able to do, you know, longer pieces, you know, flawlessly. And then uh, one of the things that I had written down here to ask you was, you know, how that compared to your, um, your journey in bow hunting. Like you're, you're going up there and, and you're, you're kind of leaving this music life behind and you're picking up this, this, this bow, which is an instrument in itself. And, uh, if you, what, what, what similarities you notice between, um, you know, learning how to bow hunt and, or even shoot, shoot the bow and playing the guitar, because once you learn how to do one thing really well, I feel like you can apply that to anything, right? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a, I think the, the biggest thing I think, you know, there's two things for me that, that music always kind of, you know, uh, connect, the way it connected to, to bow hunting. One was the rush that you get when you're on stage in front of 5,000 people is not very different from the one you get when you see the shooter buck that you've been trying to kill for three months come and walking by your stand. 
those are almost identical feelings, you know? And so that chase of like the euphoria of being on stage in front of a bunch of people singing your song or whatever, like I was able to get that again, you know? Um, but the, there's not a lot of, obviously not a lot of mechanical similarities, but the part that is similar is just what you kind of mentioned was that process. Like, and so that was helpful for me as I got into bow hunting as a, as a new bow hunter, not a new hunter, but a new bow hunter was that, you know, I have to be willing to, you know, we always call it in the band. You have to suck before you rock. You got to write all the bad songs and that you're never going to use before the good ones are going to come out. You know what I mean? Like you got to do that. And bow hunting is the same way where it's like, you got to go make all the mistakes. You can read about them in books all, all you want. You can listen to people like me wax poetic on a podcast about how to do these things. You can watch anyone on a DVD, you know, show you where a bed, where a buck wants to bed on a point on a leeward facing side of a ridge or whatever, or where the thermal tunnel exists on the leeward side of, the, of a ridge. But until you go out and you experience those things for yourself and see them and actually observe them, you're never going to get them, mm-hmm. you know? And so you have to be willing to just kind of go out and fumble through it. And then it, it, one, it sticks with you when it works or it doesn't work. Right. And you typically don't make that same mistake, you know, again, but it should be the thing that fuels you as you kind of go. And that was the thing for me in the band. It was always, as soon as you're done with the song, it's never mastery. It's always just whatever it happened to be in that moment in time that was captured when it's recorded. Right. You maybe are able to do it better later mm-hmm. or not, or whatever the case is, but you're just capturing a moment in time. And to me, bow hunting is the same way where, each one is different and you're just trying to capture that moment, you know, and just, and be in that moment and that's it. Take it for what it is. It means nothing in the future and it really means nothing in hindsight. Either. Mm-hmm. You know? So to me that, that was the biggest thing for me, how they kind of, how they kind of connected. And it was that kind of approach that I took to music, you know, has helped me just in terms of my um, archery journey, which is, you know, also kind of feeds into like my new jujitsu journey, you mm-hmm. know, which is like, a, it's a very, it's an evolution kind of approach. Like there's no true mastery of it. It's just you trying to beat yourself every day. And if you have that approach, you never win or you never lose. You're just constantly trying to evolve and be better than when you were the day before. <laughs> that's interesting. That's, that's, it's the journeys and all of those journeys are, are very similar. The, the, the music, I don't know much about that, but the, um, you know, the, the hunting and the archery and then the jujitsu, that it, those all are, things i mean you could even take the golf swing olympic lifting you can mm-hmm. take all of these other things that that truly the better you get at them then the more nuanced they get and the more you have to like you're going to improve a tiny bit by doing slight very very slight things how many times do you think turner did i did i uh, make the comparison that when we were elk hunting in the last five years or whatever that we've been elk hunting and trying to figure figure out the elk, you more so than me, but. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. How many times do you think I I compared it to permit fishing? Many, many, (laughs) many. I think it's it's interesting in all these things, permit fishing, bow hunting, music. Uh, I heard a, a quote the other day that really stuck with me and made me think that the man that likes to walk will walk further than the man that loves the destination. And I can see that in everything that we're talking about here, including jujitsu. Because once you finish one journey, once you kill a bull, or once you, you know, score 330 on a, a 3D shoot, then comes another journey and another journey and another journey towards mastery, and you'll never quite get there. So you have to love the journey. And that's something that, that, I've kind of heard in you, Clint, that you are a man 
who loves the journey and not quite so the destination because it seems like you're never satisfied when you get that there's always something more that you want. Yeah. I mean, you really, you know, for, for the hunting part of it, 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 it's funny that that quote that you just mentioned, it's so perfect because, you know, we'll have, you know, you know, people ask like, Hey, how do I get better at hunting? Or how do I, how do I do this? Or whatever the case is. And the answer is usually always the same, like from a, a grand scale. I mean, you know, if you look at things specific, there's obviously like little things you can do to get better. Right. But I always say you should love scouting and like hunting mm-hmm. because that's how you get really good at hunting. Is like, you just need to, you need to love the grind work of the off season. You need to love putting out trail cameras. You need to love just spending as much time in the woods as you possibly can. And then like hunting, because you're not going to get to do it nearly as much. You can scout like nine months out of the year, right? You can hunt in, well, actually 12 months out of the year, cause you didn't scout during hunting season and you should, but you can really only carry a bow, you know, a couple months out of the year. So the amount of time you have to do the part that is probably the most important is the part you should fall in love with, mm-hmm. you know, and if you don't love that part of it, you're going to have limited. And if that's okay, if you don't, but just recognize that like, you're going to, you're going to have limited results because of it. You know, you might not hit the goals you have for yourself or whatever. And it's the same that I'm finding, you know, in jujitsu, it's like, you don't get consumed with belts, you know, or whatever. Like I got my first recent promotion, you know, which was like super cool. And, you know, I thought whenever I got my, my promotion, my strike promotions that, you know, I wrestled growing up and stuff like that. I thought I'd feel like some sense of like, you know, accomplishment, like, okay, this is something that if I put the time in and I'm consistent, maybe I can get good at it. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of like what I thought I was anticipating feeling that right. Or pride that like, okay, I tried something brand new that was out of my wheelhouse and I'm not the youngest guy in the gym and I'm rolling with guys that are sometimes 20 years younger than me, you know, but that wasn't the case is actually, you know, I felt grateful more than anything. You know, I felt grateful that, you know, I had all these partners at the gym that are willing to show me, you know, tricks and tips along the way, you know, that, that barely knew me when I started. Right. You know, I felt grateful that I have a body that will allow me to do those, that will allow me to do hard things that, you know, I still have a body that can, you know, withstand the beating that you take in something like jujitsu. You know, I was grateful for the gym, you know, and our, and, and our coach having the gym to where I can just go there and suck some days and it's okay. You know what I mean? Like I'm not expected to show up every day and be a world beater, you know what I mean? Like that. And that's, and that's all right. Um, and so it was that sense of gratitude that I had and that really kind of, really kind of made me think about things, you know, even outside of jujitsu, like hunting and stuff like that, you know, even differently than I did that I did before, you know, I can be really hard on myself about whether I'm feeling tags or not or whatever. And then I just kind of came to the realization that, you know, I should just be grateful that I get these opportunities to do this stuff. Like, and if, you know, and if I continue to do what I'm doing, like tags, you know, filling tags will happen, but I shouldn't lose sight of, you know, why I like doing it you know, and, and the challenges that it presents, you know, presents me to, to try to overcome and just to be the better, a better version of me each day going forward. And so I try to look at things through that lens, just kind of, kind of in general, like embrace the journey and the hard part of it. Um, not so much the end goal because that moment is fleeting. It's going to happen. It's going to leave, you know? And so if you don't enjoy that part, it's a lot longer, you're setting yourself up for a lot of, a lot of disappointment. How is that message that, you know, you so eloquently just, just relayed there. How is that, um, kind of accepted by new listeners, younger listeners, because it seems like that's kind of the opposite of, of, I mean, it's a great message and, and Mm -hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree with it and understand it. But today, you know, in the Instagram, TikTok world, everything's about, you know, whack them and stack them. And this is the deer I just killed. And how, how, how have you, um, have you, seen challenges kind of getting people to understand that message or do you continue to reinforce that message or, or is, is, is that something that, um, you know, people that, that like hard things like, like hunting just kind of gravitate to that, like to the process and to that, I don't know if it's just the person or if it's, but you certainly see it with fishing and, and hunting that people certainly want the, they want the Instagram photo. And a lot of times they want to kill the deer just for that photo. And then it's, you know, it's like, man, you just missed the whole, you missed the whole deal. I'm glad you're out here. I'm glad you're a hunter, but 
there's a lot more to it than just the the trophy shot. And the same with fishing and the same with so many things. But what is that like in your, in your experience with your audience? Yeah, I would say there's always going to be the group that wants the instant gratification. You know, you're never, you're never going to get rid of that necessarily. But what I can say is that I think I've seen a growing, um, you know, a groundswell, if you will, or, or momentum toward that kind of experiential approach to, to bow hunting overall. Like I'm seeing a lot more people now travel less to do hunts that they may have not done in years past, whether it's go to Montana, Idaho, whatever, and kind of do that hunt that they always thought was out of reach, you know, and have that experience knowing that like, like for me, for example, I've been elk hunting twice in my life. I still love to go. I have a whole hunt plan to go out West for like starting next year, like every year after that for different species in different States. I don't know much about elk hunting, but I like to go, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I'll go run around the mountains for a week, two weeks and chase them, you know, and one of these days I'll kill one, you know, it's like, you know, so I think more and more people are kind of embracing that because, you know, I think the first time that they do, and I think it's helpful, you know, whether it's my podcast, someone else's or YouTube channels or whatever, watching people like them do things like that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it seems like it's a little bit more tangible. Right. And if you can't do a Western hunt, cause maybe the tags are a little bit too expensive then it becomes a lot of what I do from a white top perspective, which is that over the counter public land tag somewhere, you know what I mean? Or that one where you only need like one or two points to draw that over or that, you know, the draw tag or whatever and go to, you know, if you live in, you know, Connecticut, go to Ohio, right. And experience like, you know, a Midwestern kind of hunt with bigger deer. They're doing, you know, more big buck things than you would see in Connecticut or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think more people are kind of gravitating toward that and knowing that they may not fill a tag, you know, um, so I think it's, I think it's talked about a lot more. I think that people are way more accepting of it. Um, and at least the people that listen to, to my podcast, I think are all often, you know, very like-minded in the fact that they know that the pursuit is the part that you better love, you know, because that's the kind of part that we always kind of focus on. Right. It's very like when we talk about hunting, like the very small part of the show is actually about like the hunt like itself. It's about all, what is all the stuff you did to get there? And those are the things that I kind of focus on because personally, I find those to be the most interesting, you know, drawing back the string and letting one rip, like, you know, yes, that's the kind of seminal moment of it. Right. But it's actually not the most important moment of it. (laughs) You know, it's the thing that happens last. You don't even get there if the other stuff didn't happen, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that the people that listen to my podcast, at least, you know, and not just mine, but others that are similar to it, you know, have a, have a very uh, similar feeling. And I think, as a, as a space for making a more conscious effort to shine the light on that more so than the actual kill itself. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a conscious effort of it, but you know, like I said at the beginning, like you're never going to get rid of the, the whack and stack and crowd and, you know, maybe parts of me hopes that you don't, you know what I mean? I think there's might be a place for everybody to. Well, I mean, there, there's always, there's all these different, different journey. Everybody's on a different journey and everybody's, starts this journey in a different place. And there are plenty of people that start the journey for the whack and stack them. And then they mm-hmm. develop this appreciation, uh, you know, that, that we're talking about because that was their entry point. And then they, they kind of go reverse. And then there's other people that, you know, it's all about, you know, the, the process and, and the, the, the big deers at the, you know, that's the, that's the result of all this hard work or, you know, the black belt or the win in the, in the jujitsu tournament is the result of all the hard work or the state championship in wrestling is the result of all this hard work. But, you know, there's lots of people that, that wanted to start wrestling because they looked at the picture on the wall and they thought, man, that would be awesome to be one of those state champions. I want to be one of those guys one day. And that's how they ended up getting in the room and right. started their process. So I think everybody starts this journey in a different place, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, and, and, you know, hopefully as a, as a space, like you're talking about, we can, you know, help to, to, to guide that a little bit, whether it's fishing or hunting or, or anything um, to at least being respectful of the, of the whole process. And even if yeah. you dislike the whole process, you have to still be able to, I mean, there are lots of people that dislike training, right? They, that's their least favorite part. They love to compete. Like there's probably guys out there on the, on the field on a, on an NFL Sunday that 
they've never liked practice. They don't like practice. They love competing in that game. That's what drives them. But then there's another guy that loves practice. And then the game is the result of all the practice. Right. And either way, which is better? I don't know. They're both out there. Yeah. It's the chicken or the egg. Right. Right. It's, it's funny you bring that up that in that kind of context, because that was always kind of the the tension point of our band. Hmm. I was much more of, you know, I, I did most of the songwriting, but I was much more of, I loved being in the studio. I loved the creative process and I liked rehearsing and writing and, and making. I didn't really care about the performing. Like I, you could have told me you could be a studio musician, just write and make records and never perform live. And I would have been fine with that, you know, but the rest of my band was always, they were very much like all about the stage, the show, like the expression. Right. And so I was always like, no, 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 that's right. That's right. Let's go to the studio. That's right. Let's write. Let's write. And let's just create and then eventually we'll play and whatever. <laughs> when we, when I put that band together, I want to say it was like, we were, we wrote and recorded, like we had been playing together for like a little while, but when we decided like, all right, we're going to get serious and start actually, you know, doing this as like, a, as this group uh, of, of specific guys, um, I wouldn't l- allow us to play a show. It was for like 11 or 12 months. Like we did nothing but write and record like four days a week mm-hmm. or like almost a year straight before we ever played our first show. And it was because I wanted to like nail down our creative process. Like, what are we going to be? What kind of band are we going to be? And not only that, but I was like, when we do play live, I was like, I want to peel the paint off the wall. Right. You know I, mean? I was like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't want to go out and be kind of sloppy because we're new or whatever. It's like, I want to go out and it looked like we've been playing together for 10 years, you know? And we did. And it was like within three shows we had, record companies call us, you know, and that was, you know, and it was by design, you know? So it's like, again, going back to what you mentioned earlier, like I knew where I wanted to go. I just needed to work the process to manifest it. Right. You know what I mean? But it was, it wasn't the end goal. It was just, it was just the next logical place that we would end up if we did all those things. Don't you think that, or do you think that, um, you know, a band that has stood the test of time, maybe, maybe the Rolling Stones or, or, or some, you know, mega super band has probably, has to have both of those elements. Like there has to be like at least people behind the scenes or, or people that are within the band that are like, man, we are going to put together the greatest performance. Like say kiss, for example, like you got, you, you had, they had to write the songs and they had to, they had to, you know, create the songs. But then there's another guy, Gene Simmons. He's like, yeah, but man, we got to make a show. Like this Mm -hmm. has to be a show. And in order to be like, incredible like that you had to it seems like somewhere along the line there had to be both there had to be the creative process and the rehearsals and the practice Mm -hmm. and the and and all of that and then there had to be okay that's one thing and we've created that now we're going to create a show and we're going to peel the paint off the walls and the drums are going to flip over and it's there's going to be pyrotechnics and there's going to be everything and we are going to rewrite history nobody's ever done it like this Right. right. Like I, I find that interesting. It's like, it's like a good marriage or a good, a good business uh, relationship where one person is really good at one thing. One person's really good at the other and yeah. t- separately they're okay. Together they form some kind of super, you know, one yeah. plus one is five, right? Like yeah. it's not, it's yeah. not two. That's, I was just going to say like, and you kind of, you hit it right there at the end that I always feel like, anything that is great or good or however you want to, you know, express that, you know, there's always a sense of tension. Mm. You know, you should never not have a situation where there's not a tension that's constantly pushing and pulling each other. Cause it's the thing that keeps you in the center, right? It's like, you need, you need, if, if you're pulling this way, you're just going to move this way. Right. If you have something on the opposite side, pulling at the same force, the opposite way, well then now you stay centered. Right. And that centered centeredness is what kind of, that's kind of like the gestalt of whatever it is that you're trying to create, right? Like that's where the essence lives. And you always need to come back to that well to try to figure, you know, to, for it to continue to kind of evolve or whatever. But that thing always stays as your constant, you're always evolving from that. So there's like from up for a band, then there's always like this particular thing that is uniquely you, no matter what you do. You know, if you think about all those bands, like the Beatles, for example, right. They made so many varieties of, of music. When you think about all the records that they made, like, mm-hmm. so they were all so different often, especially as they got later in their career, they became so different from one another, like the, the, the records. 
But when you listen to each one of them, there is like in each record, there is that one thing that is quintessentially the Beatles. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or if you listen to Zeppelin, it's the same way with Zeppelin, right? Or if you listen to, I was a big Stone Temple Pilots fan and they had like, they were very Beatles-esque to me where they wrote, their records were all very different from one another. But like you could listen to any one of those records and you could tell it was Stone Temple Pilots. They had this thing about them that mm-hmm. was always, yeah. them, you know? And I think anything great, whether it's a band, whether it's a business or whatever, like you have to always never lose what it is you are at your essence, but how you kind of express that in different ways to either create different products or different content or whatever it becomes. I think the hard part, whenever you're a bow hunter or you're doing jujitsu or, or whatever, that's very singular is that you have to have like the wherewithal to recognize that you have to be that for yourself. Mm-hmm you know, if you stray too far in one direction, you know, it, it, you know, it could lead to a season of like just misery or whatever. Right. You know, or maybe you've got a good hunting buddy that you go and you hunt with and do hunting trips. Like that's one thing I do. I have a great hunting partner. He and I travel together pretty much exclusively on on all of our trips. And we're very much like the yin and yang of each other. But like when one is up, the other one might be down and you never let that person get too far down. And you Mm -hmm. always, that way the trip kind of always stays at a very kind of even keel methodically thinking through what we need to do the next day you have a moment for this person to be mad that this person had an okay day. So we're going to talk about my day and it's going to give you hope that tomorrow you might have that day, you know, yeah. and it's kind of like the back, the back and forth. And, you know, with jujitsu, it's more the community of people in the gym. You know, it's like you go in you have bad days. It's like, I'm still new at this. And I roll with a lot of guys that are way better than me that take time to teach me. And, but at the end of the day, there's one guy in particular that I roll with his name is Zach and a uh, former college wrestler. So he's, he's a hammer. And, uh, I get, I get beat up by him once a day. Like that's how I end with him every session. I live roll with him at the very end. That's how I end my day. Cause even if I had a good day, I get humbled before I leave, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then every day we stop and, and he'll be like, dude, he's like, you're doing really good. He's like, this worked for you today. This worked for you today. Your reaction here was good. Only I knew what you were going to do because he used to wrestle. I wrestled. So he's like a lot of the stuff you, way you move feels familiar to him, you know? Mm-hmm. But he's, he makes sure to tell me like, these are the things you did really well today. You know what I mean? Like not, don't focus on the stuff you didn't do well. Like you're, you're getting, you know, so just keep showing up, keep doing what you're doing. And that's what you need. You know what I mean? Like you need that opposite, you know, I'm there to kind of critique myself and say, these are the areas of deficiency that I need to get better. Right. Your kind of support group or your counterparts should be there to tell you, Hey, yeah, you need to get better at those areas, but let me tell you the things you did do well today. Right. And those are places those are places of strength and places to build from, you mm-hmm. know? And so, you know, I think in anything that's successful, you have to have that. Yeah. And so many of us are, are out there, um, hunting, fishing by ourselves and you don't have that. Like that's yeah. a, that's a real challenge. And then, and, 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 or, or eventually you determine, man, I gotta, I gotta have a buddy, but who and where, where do you find that person? Because there's somebody else just like you out there that's frustrated and you know, they're, they're not having the luck and every, they open Instagram and everybody's killing big elk or big deer or whatever. And you look at it and you just feel so dejected. Um, a lot of what we're talking about is like mindset and, and dealing with failure and dealing with frustration. Do you cover that a lot in your, in, on your show? We do. Yeah. Um, it's usually a lot of times we'll talk about it in the off season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because that's the time where everyone's kind of, you know, evaluating when I talk about postseason and what I do postseason, like I go through, it used to be stuff that I, that I'd write down and I would go over and less now it's or more. So now it's more of just like mentally kind of thinking through, you know, I kind of start with like, you know, where were the best opportunities this year? Like, and I try to step back, like holistically and just like look at the season from like a, like I'm staring at over top of the world at, you know, at, at a very kind of scaled out view, right. 30,000 foot view and just kind of pick out like what hunts did I have that went well? Why did they go? Well, was my access good? Was the access bad? Did I just get lucky and start to kind of dissect those? And then I'll go back and I'll take a look at, you know, all the trail camera data that I have from the year and kind of catalog all that and go back and see like, were there any missed opportunities? What were the deer doing? What was the weather conditions on those days where I saw a lot of daylight movement or whatever? I try to start to, I try to start to make, you know, connectivity points to kind of help me start my scouting for the next, for the next season. Cause I usually don't wait, you know, for me. And then that becomes, it becomes very much like a mindset thing. Cause it's like, I'm dedicated and disciplined in that, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't wait for the season to kind of end. Like now I'm in late season. 
and I'm already going to hunt some places that I don't hunt very often because I'm going to hunt slash scout them all during the late season. Mm-hmm. Knowing full well it's going to be a tough hunt because gun season's just been over. Deer are in their hidey holes now. If I'm not close to where they're dead and they're laying their head, it's going to be really hard to find that buck. But I know that it'll pay dividends if I go do it now because I'll be able to see some things that I wouldn't otherwise see. A little bit of snow, I can backtrack to where, they're, where they have some areas that they want to feed and spend time. You know, and so that's all just from, you know, uh, being disciplined and knowing that that's what I should do. It's like, you bring up a good point, man. Cause I, I, I loathe the word motivation. Mm-hmm. Like it's a word that I don't, I don't like because to me, motivation implies that you need something outside of yourself to, to jumpstart you, to get you to go do something. And my opinion always has been is that if you can't find it in yourself to go to want to do it, either one, it's not important enough to you or two, you shouldn't be doing it to begin with. You know, that's, and so I don't like to use the word motivation. I like to use the word discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm disciplined to go do this. I don't need to be motivated because this is something that I have to go do. And I'm going to go do because I want to have a better season next year than I had this year. Mm -hmm. I'm disciplined to go to jujitsu four nights a week, you know, or, or, you know, two classes and four open mats a week because I want to get better at jujitsu. You know, I'm disciplined in, you know, being a good father because I want my daughter to have more than I had growing up. You know what I mean? And so it's those things. It's like, I'm not motivated by those things. I'm disciplined because those are, those are my responsibilities mm-hmm. for the things that I want to attain. Yeah. There's a, it's a big difference between discipline and motivation, but you know, there is some motivation. You can, you can, motivation can, can move you. Uh, you can watch Rocky and you can be like, man, I'm really going to go right? to jujitsu. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's in short spurts, but, yeah. but it, but it is, it is helpful. You know, like, mm-hmm. man, I get motivation watching, watching Rocky. We watched it the whole time that, uh, that we were elk hunting this year. We got all five, all five Rockies and we'd come back from being all dejected from getting, nice. getting, <laughs> getting, uh, you know, run all over the mountains by the elk. And we'd go back in and watch Rocky and we're like, yes, we were ready to go back out there again. And we're going to use our discipline and we're going to do this. And, See, and that's, that's just, know. that's it. Like the discipline's the yeah. part. That it's like a going. shot of espresso, right? Yes. It's not going to last very long, No, but it does, you know, you put the boots back on and you get ready to go, man. And, and the discipline is, okay, now we're going to, now we're going to go the seven miles up that mountain that we know we have to, I mean, we, that's where they are. We have to go there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, the discipline is the long term. Yeah. You know I mean, like, for sure. Is the one that's like, I'm pumped. I'm going to go do this. And then the discipline is like, now I'm doing this for 10 weeks straight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like where the motivation part isn't quite as sexy you know, yeah. as, it, as, as it was before. You know, it's like, it's like sugar, right. Or yeah. pasta right? Yeah. before like, a match or whatever. It's right. like, you need that glycogen to get you through certain things, but it's really all the training that you did previously is like, is, oh, yeah. the, is the discipline part that's going to get you to the finish line. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and in, in my podcast anyway, I find that, um, you kind of, I, I attract a, a wide audience, but there are a lot of people that are, that are like me kind of similar age, similar place in their life, similar, similar, you know, family life, whatever. And I would imagine that it's the same for your audience. And, and I wonder, um, you know, when you're talking about being a good dad and being, you know, you know, being disciplined in, in all of these different endeavors, but there's also the home life and, you know, the deer hunting takes a tremendous amount of time. And, um, like what's the, what's the thought on, on kind of time allotment? I almost said balance, but there is no balance, right? Like I don't believe in balance either. Like if you want to be really good at something, you're going to have to, to put an exorbitant amount of time in that for a while and everything else is going to be out of balance. And then maybe you get really good and you can kind of level out a little bit, but there's going to be something else that calls you. And it's like, okay, well I hadn't shot my, I haven't, I've been putting so much time into scouting that I haven't actually shot my bow in months. So now I'm going to have to go shoot my bow so that when this time comes, I'm going to be able to execute what I, what I need or, you know, but whatever, there's all this up and down kind of thing, but like, what, what's your message with, uh, with home life and, and the time that, that, you know, this deer obsession takes. Right. Um, one, you know, put off getting married. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's one for Turner. Turner's about to get married. (laughs) Don't, Don't have any kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think like most anything, you know, whenever you're, uh, when you're responsible to a group, whatever it is, work, you know, family, whatever it is, like communication is key. 
like just being clear on what it is you're going to, what, you know, what it is you need to do and what time, amount of time you need to do. And then you negotiate on, you know, when you can, when you can do those things. And so I'm lucky for me, my wife was with me as, as my girlfriend. I mean, we've been together since we were in 10th grade. So she's seen me like through all the music stuff and whatever. So I'm not a great example because she's like, whatever you do in bow is not going to be nearly as stressful as it was like when you were in the band, like, and you calling me from like the emergency room at the hospital because you got into a bar fight somewhere. So <laughs> you know I mean? like, she's like, so we're not, I'm not getting those phone calls anymore. She's like, so we're all good. But for me, the way I kind of frame it out is like, once the middle of September hits or this year it was earlier cause I, I went out to Idaho for the opener. So I was gone like very end of August, beginning of September. But typically it's like, if I'm going West, I usually like to go kind of mid ish September. If I'm going to Montana or whatever, it's like, that's the time frame I like to get there. So really from, and then my season here in PA cause it's special regs units where I live opens in like September 15th or 19th. And so I'm always kind of like, Hey, September, mid September through basically Thanksgiving, like don't make any plans for me, you know, now with the exception of my daughter has like a, a recital or something like that, like I'm going to make time and I'm going to be there because you get one chance at that. Right. And it's really more about prioritizing those things. Like, you know, I, I would never miss something like that for her, regardless of what deer I'm chasing. I don't really care. Like she's number one. Um, you know, and then aside from that, you know, when I basically tell my wife, like anything after that, whatever you want to do, you know, a weekend or whatever, just like, let me know. And then I'll fit my scouting and stuff in around it. You know what I mean? The, the, all the stuff that I want to do in the off season. And that's kind of the way we work. And so I have all this time, you know, during the course of the year. And then when we hit, you know, this time of year now, it's like, I know in you know January, we always do it like a getaway and that's our weekend, Like we plan it. It's, you know, and just, so you just set those things up in advance that we're going to do this together at these times, we're going to do a family vacation at this time. And then I'm going to fit my off season stuff in and around our family schedule. Mm -hmm. But just when a hunting season hits, I need to be able to be free. Doesn't mean I'm going to be gone all the time. Just need, I need the freedom to be able to be gone when I need to be gone, you know? And then I always let her know, like, you know, in advance, she knows, you know, I'm going to probably take a trip West in like September. And then I'm probably going to be gone for two weeks in like October or November somewhere in the Midwest chasing whitetails. And outside of that, I'm going to take some day trips to some areas that are close to me or long weekends or whatever. Um, and she just knows that that's kind of what's happening, but this is something we put in place, you know, years ago. So it's none of it's a surprise. You just don't want it to be a surprise. Yeah. You know? Surprises it's, you don't know, go well. Yeah. Those don't go well. I mean, if there's good weather days and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to bail for like a weekend because you know, there's a great weather front coming in. She knows during that time of year, like that's going to happen, you know? So um, we just don't plan anything big around, um, around that time of year. And we just kind of come to an agreement of like, this is our kind of family calendar <laughs> and we're all going to adhere to it. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's on the horizon for truth from the stand. Do you have any plans for changes or upgrades or anything you're doing this year? Changes. We'll see. This might, this will be the first time I've actually mentioned this. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, it's what we were talking about before we started, we're going to make a, a small kind of, change to the content. Maybe we're going to try some, some new stuff out for, for, for the listeners. Um, you know, it's, it started off as bow hunting, still always going to be, you know, bow hunting as like the, the cornerstone of what it is. Um, but it's probably going to start to maybe express some things, uh, some different things that are interests of mine beyond, beyond bow hunting. It'll probably be more in the off season when things are a little bit slow, um, in terms of like, you know, the whitetail season wrapping up their shed hunting and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, try to bring in some things, you know, related to just people doing as you know, we were talking about earlier, just like to do hard things. Right? Yeah. Cause I think, you know, at the, at the heart of it, people who choose to bow hunt with a, you know, or hunt with a bow, right. Whether it's a compound or, you know, trad bow or whatever the case is, you're, you are, uh, choosing to take a, a harder path, right. There are easier means out there if you would like. Right. Um, and, and so with that, I kind of, that's kind of like the, you know, I think the, the approach I want to kind of take with the show as we kind of continue on, like still the bow hunting, but like, let's talk to people that just do hard things. Cause I think just as you and I were talking about a lot of different things today, there's a lot of stuff you can take from different areas about how people build success or how they build determination or how they build whatever that you can pour into bow hunting. Like it doesn't have to always be bow hunting to learn something about bow hunting from it. And so I think that that's the next kind of, you know, approach that I might want to take is explore some of those topics. Interesting. Well, I'm yeah. sure that'll be awesome. Um, you'll have uh, you'll have some 
I mean, we, we touched on some great subjects right now that you could delve into a lot, a lot deeper, but, uh, yeah, you got a great thing going truth from the stand. If you haven't listened to it, you should definitely go check it out. And, uh, Turner, you got anything else we should, uh, cover today? I don't think so. Um, just, uh, excited to have you on Clint, excited to have you on waypoint. Um, very excited for all the things we have coming up and, uh, you're included in a lot of those. So, uh, check out the waypoint network. Waypoint Podcast Network on waypointtv.com slash podcast where you can find Clint's podcast and over a hundred other outdoor podcasts that you will love. Awesome. Well, wow. What an introduction. <laughs> I'm sure it will be flooded with people going there and checking it out. Clint, I uh, I really do like your podcast and I really appreciate you coming on here. I wish you all the very best in luck uh, with the podcast and certainly all your scouting and everything else you got getting ready. You're getting ready to do this year. Um, and maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll meet up in person one of these days and, uh, and do some elk hunting or something. I don't know. We'll do something. That'd be awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm game, man. Have a, I have a, a travel trailer that I built. We'll travel. Is that right? Nice. <laughs> Let me know uh, when you're heading Montana and what you're doing. Uh, I'm just out in Bozeman, so we can go chase some mule deer or elk around, or just have some fun. I mean, I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping next year is the year I draw Montana. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. I'll keep you. I'll keep you posted. Though. Yeah. I appreciate keep you posted, man. On the, show, uh, on the show. Yeah. Absolutely, Clint. That's great. That's uh, his podcast is called Truth from the Stand. You can find it on Waypoint, and it's definitely worth a listen if you uh, are into whitetail or interesting things like jujitsu and mindset. Also, um, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest like Clint. And thanks for listening. We will see you then. All right, out. <laughs>